Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Last week was the last Sunday of the church year. Today is the first Sunday of a new church year, at the end of which we will have another last Sunday of the church year. Last Sunday we closed the church year as we do every year, and as we will this church year, by hearing St. Paul tell us not to sleep. These words from 1 Thessalonians 5, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. St. Paul tells us not to sleep since we are the sort that do not sleep. We have everything we need to keep us alert and watchful. This epistle is chosen well for the last Sunday of the church year. God prepares us to watch and be sober. He shows us how. He gives us everything we need. He prepares us through his holy word and through the discipline of a year of hearing his word reading, marking, learning, and inwardly digesting his word to embrace and ever hold fast that blessed hope of everlasting life, which is ours through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we are strengthened by the comfort and patience of God's holy word to stay awake and watch until the night is over and the Son of Man returns. This sleep that we are warned not to fall into, of course, is a spiritual sleep what we might call apathy. Physical sleep is a gift from God, and I'm sure we could all use a bit more of it. There are other earthly gifts of God that we could use a bit more of too. Our pursuit of these things, in preference over the spiritual rest that only the spiritually alert enjoy, is what the Apostle tells us not to do. It is perilous to do this. By telling us not to sleep, he is telling us not to seek rest in our own fleshly desires, but to seek rest in him who comes in the name of the Lord. He comes in the name of the Lord to rescue uh, our hearts from such intoxicating distractions. The reason we succumb to such distractions is because we prefer the pleasure that comes from feeling satisfied for a moment over the pleasure promised to those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Lord, have mercy upon us. Another year is over, and our discipline of hearing God's word regularly and faithfully has either not been kept up, or if we have kept it up, it has failed to make us any less sinful and greedy and angry and discontent than we used to be. We want to see progress. We want to be better. It is just so tiring, and it is tiring to wait. In light of last Sunday's epistle lesson, isn't it interesting, though, what we heard about in last Sunday's gospel lesson? First, St. Paul tells us not to sleep. Then Jesus tells a parable in which all of us are found sleeping, and all of us need to be woken up. Ten virgins are waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. All ten of them fall asleep, but five were wise and five were foolish. The wise had oil in store, the foolish had none. Ten virgins succumbed to the weakness of their sinful nature. 
Ten virgins gave in to what their sinful minds preferred to ponder. All ten must have been ashamed when the voice was heard announcing that they were supposed to be awake and waiting for the bridegroom, but five were not appalled at this voice. Though they did not feel quite prepared, they were. They had faith in the grace of God. Five, however, indulged their flesh and lost the heavenly treasure. They had no faith. Their thoughts immediately ran to what they must do, where they must go, how they must improve in the very last moment. But they did not wake up and think of God's grace. They woke up and panicked. Five virgins were penitent and lamented their weakness even as they often succumbed to it. They were afraid of how feebly they were holding on to the treasure. And so upon waking from sleep, their thoughts raced to the grace of God, which they had made a habit of knowing and relying upon. And so must we be. We live in repentance. We live unsure of ourselves, but nonetheless sure of God's grace and mercy in Christ. This is why we opened this morning a hymn I kind of wanted to close with instead because it is such a wonderful hymn. The one by probably one of the church's most beloved hymnists, Paul Gerhardt, who surely had last Sunday's gospel lesson in mind when he sat down to prepare for this Sunday. I suppose I did too, but you'll notice what I'm talking about. O Lord, how shall I meet thee? How welcome thee aright? Thy people long to greet thee, my hope, my heart's delight. O kindle, Lord most holy, thy lamp within my breast, to do in spirit lowly all that may please thee best. Who will kindle the lamp? Who will surely not snuff the glowing wick? He who has compassion on the weakness of our mortal nature, that's who. He who, as a father, pities his children, pities those who fear him, who knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. Jesus once marveled, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? He marvels at our weakness. If having faith were left to us, the Son of Man would find none. But he is determined to find faith. He does not leave it up to us. He makes all preparation to find faith in us. And that is what we consider today. Jesus marvels at our weakness, but he assumes our weakness. He assumes our mortal nature in order to overcome the sin that makes us weak. He overcomes the sin that makes us weak not by commanding our sin out of us and demanding our submission to his royal power. No, he is not like earthly kings. He comes humbly. He comes to bear our sin. He comes to satisfy and exhaust all divine anger against our sin by suffering in our place. Anger that he himself shared, indistinguishable from the passionate love he had for us poor sinners. And from eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit delighted in the plan to rescue us. And so we marvel at his weakness. And we find all God's strength to save us in it. Jesus draws near Jerusalem. He stops at Bethphage with his disciples in the Mount of Olives, where he often went to pray. He sends two disciples to fetch a beast of burden, to 
carry, so to speak, a load of olives from the Mount of Olives into his holy city to be pressed into the oil that our lamps need. He makes all preparations. Here at the beginning, he makes preparations for the end. He marvels at our weakness and prepares us for strength by securing and preparing the mercy we will need all year long. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is chosen so well to begin our church here. We see it again on Palm Sunday as it begins the focus of our entire life and year. Jesus going into Jerusalem to become our Savior. We begin a new church year, therefore, by beginning again our preparation for the end. For the end of this new year, we now begin. For the end of our lives, or for the end of the world, depending on which of these comes first. We begin our church year with the express purpose now of having oil in store, whenever that end might come. If we will prepare for the end, it is good that we return to the beginning. If you want to learn how to watch, therefore, since you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming, then you must learn to behold your King who is coming to you, precisely where you know where to find him. He is just and having salvation. He who came once to prepare the oil you need comes continually through the gospel he commands his ministers to preach in his name in order to bring that oil to you. He who gained salvation outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago is the same yesterday and today as he makes provision still to give what he already gained. He gives in the means of grace found here. And the one to whom we are reconciled is the same forever. Our epistle lesson for this Sunday of the church year is also well chosen. St. Paul does not tell us who are awake to stay awake. He tells those who are sleeping to wake up. And by this, we consider how we ourselves begin. How we began in the faith when we were first made Christians. And how we begin as often as we grow weary and drowsy. He says in Romans chapter 13 that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. If we want to be woken up with joy rather than with dread when the Son of Man returns, if we want Him really to find faith on earth and faith in us, we want to stay awake, then we must remember how we were woken up to begin with. We lay in fetters groaning. He came to set us free. We were made alive and woken up to faith in Christ by the grace of God that he came to fulfill and proclaim. Yes, we were woken up in some manner of speaking by the threats of judgment that persuaded us to be afraid. For this reason, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness a message of repentance. And we must still be woken up routinely from the false security of sin. Even now, we must often be warned as we sing in another hymn, By grace, but think not to thou who livest, securely on in godless ways, that thou, though all are cold, receivest the promised rest that wakes our praise. And no one will find in heaven a place 
who loves to sin and scorns God's grace. This warning of John the Baptist is true. But even his name means the Lord is gracious. He came to prepare the way for him whose name means the Lord saves. By grace we are saved. By grace alone we are prepared to seek him. It is grace alone that wakes our praise because it is grace alone that opens our eyes to see in the meekness and lowliness of Jesus, the royal power of God's own Son to save us. The law wakes us up from false security. It wakes us to our need. But only the gospel can wake us up to true security. Only the gospel delivers what we need. Our salvation is secure in him who rules us through the forgiveness of our sins. This is what we need. Only God's mercy creates faith in Jesus. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. He fulfills the promise made through Zechariah to end our war with God and give peace with the Father who sent him. He comes to fulfill all promises of grace and mercy by coming to us in humility. And he who came in humility to suffer and die continually comes in humility to teach us and admonish us to correct and rebuke us, but to give to us in no less humble means all that we need to be prepared for his coming in glory. For now, he hides his glory as we need him to. It is hidden, but it is there. We find his glory not in what we see or even feel, but in what he says. Because as we see by his fulfillment of of Zechariah, He does what he says he will do. He gave himself into death to bury our sins. He rose from the dead as he said he would to give us eternal life. He says that the bread and wine is his body and blood. He says it is. He says it gives us forgiveness of our sins. And we say that is what I need. And he speaks the truth. We sing to Jesus who comes to us in the sacrament of the altar. What the adoring crowds once sang when he entered Jerusalem on a donkey. They waved palms and took off their coats to prepare his way. So we cast off our heavy pride and every sin that weighs us down. We cast it all at his feet who comes to save us. And we acknowledge that he does by singing Hosanna in the highest. He knows our hearts. And he doesn't come to condemn us. He comes to save us. He doesn't come to demand our praise and devotion. He comes to call it forth from hearts that need salvation. He persuades us. He persuades us by teaching us what our greatest need is and then freely giving it. He comes to prepare for us when we must face him at last. By grace on this I'll rest when dying. In Jesus' promise I rejoice. For though I know my heart's condition, I also know my Savior's voice. My heart is glad, all grief has flown, since I am saved by grace alone. How we make our beginning says everything about how we end. How Jesus comes to us, therefore, says everything we need to remember about how he will return. We do not want to be found without faith. And Jesus does not want to find us without faith. He makes all preparations. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly 
as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but, on, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Our celebration of the new year typically consists of making all sorts of resolutions to be better. And so it is natural for man to salve his conscience and to make himself feel a little more hopeful for the future, to become more and more determined not to make the same mistakes he made last year. Well, I suppose that is good. We should all improve. Jesus teaches us how, and St. Paul certainly commands us to take stock in how we behave and how we live. That wonderful hymn by Paul Gerhardt tells, has us sing, to do in spirit lowly all that may please thee best. And that's worth singing. We should do in the spirit that Jesus has taught us what pleases him. But it is a bit unfortunate that what Paul Gerhardt wrote is simply untranslatable in English. He does not say to do in spirit lowly, but he says, he says this, that what pleases thee best, what pleases thee, may be intimately known and understood by me. Before we seek to be prepared by doing, by fixing our mistakes, we seek to know what pleases God. And so we live in repentance for what delights him most. To catch us off guard, to, to catch us in sin, that is not his goal for you. That is why he prepares you. What delights him most is to fill us with oil, to forgive us, to prepare us to rebound from every fall by remembering how we first began, not by some choice that we made, not by some flame from within that we fanned, not, but by recognizing, rather, what the prophet foretold for us, that he comes all willing, moved by his love alone. He comes lowly and with pure kindness to prepare us. The Son of Man wants to find faith so he makes all preparations to find you believing, so that whether we wake or sleep, we are prepared to follow him and rejoice with great victory in his salvation. And for this reason, we make no provision for the flesh. We know what pleases him who loves us, who saves us, and we want to please him. We make no provision for the flesh also by remembering how little our flesh contributed in the beginning and how little it must still contribute in the end. As St. Paul writes to the Galatians, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Or what do you need to fix what do you need to recoup from this last church year? What failures as a father can you not correct? It's too late. What marriage is too late to reconcile? What youth can you not return to? 
What joy and hope towards what lies ahead does your heart weigh heavy to know has so far been extinguished? It's out of reach. Then return to your first love, to your first calling, and remember how he called you. He did not call you by extracting from you praise, but by eliciting it from you in mercy, by giving you mercy. Your hope and joy are not found where you manage to free yourselves from sin, but in him who bore your sin. Your sin is far too perilous for you to figure it out on your own, but you ask him to come, and he comes. The light he gives is not just guidance on how to be holy. It is mercy that makes you holy in his sight, that clothes you in Christ who is our righteousness. It delights Jesus that we live according to God's will, that we know what our lives and bodies and minds are for. But this is not what makes him our king, that we earn God's favor. We do not crown him. He establishes his throne in heaven, and he establishes his reign on earth. So here is our resolution this new year, which so soon afterwards brings us to Christmas. When God joins our humanity in flesh, he gives us a new year and time to prepare, unlike the way we count years. Our new years begin with guilt and already failed resolutions, but here is our resolution, which is given to us, that we begin right now to prepare for the oil we need when this year is over that we make use of the word that is preached more regularly during Advent and other seasons, that we seek it and find joy in it, that we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the beginner and ender of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, who now, even now, sits down at the right hand of the throne of God, where he reigns as our king governing our conscience through the forgiveness that he brings to us today. And he remains with us until we recognize his voice when he calls us into the eternal wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride. This is the most wonderful thing to prepare for. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. O Savior, child of Mary, who felt our human woe, O Savior, King of glory, who dost our weakness know, bring us at length, we pray, to the bright courts of heaven and to the endless day. Amen. <laughs>